0: 16, please. That's where we left off last time we were together, and we will continue our verse by verse through Acts. Our text this morning is Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. The topic Paul and Silas exorcise a demon from a possessed slave girl and are imprisoned because it affects the local economy. Prison becomes a place of prayer and praise as they sing unto the Lord. The title of our message, Sing Sing. I should just stop while I'm ahead. But anyway, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. When they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing that the prison doors were open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officer, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Let's pray. Father, guide us through this text. I pray that every insight that you desire us to glean would be picked up by us, that we would approach it, Lord, as if you were speaking to us personally with the authority and the majesty of heaven to encourage and refresh and bless us. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Paul's night in jail was the first of nearly four years he would spend, either under arrest or incarcerated, during his 30 years of preaching the gospel. His frequent stints as a prisoner led him to refer to himself as the prisoner of the Lord. You see that in Ephesians 4.1, for example. Now, the odds are pretty good you won't be incarcerated for Jesus. But what if you started considering yourself the prisoner of the Lord? There are lots of metaphors used to describe your relationship to Jesus Christ. Christians are compared to ambassadors, athletes, builders, stewards, slaves, bond servants, soldiers, and farmers. Each suggests certain essential qualities in your Christian walk. Prisoners should be on that list. There are certain qualities of prison life that are essential if you want to succeed in the Christian life. For example, a prisoner has limited rights. He is dependent upon his jailer for the most basic necessities. His activities are restricted. If you think about it, you'll come up with your own qualities uh, that parallel prisoners and Christians. A couple of things will happen when you start to see yourself as the prisoner of the Lord. We see them in Paul's first imprisonment in Philippi. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, you set captives free when you see yourself as the prisoner of the Lord. And number two, you set the church forward when you see yourself as the prisoner of the Lord. First of all, in verses 16 through 34, you set captives free when you see yourself as the prisoner of the Lord. Paul always made the most of his incarcerations. The letters to the Colossians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, and to Philemon were all written while Paul was a prisoner. Second Timothy is technically called a pastoral epistle, but it was written while Paul was a prisoner. The soldiers who kept guard over Paul were changed at frequent intervals. He shared the Lord with them and their indications that many of them were saved. During his longer incarcerations, he was able to receive visitors were're told that they were affected by visiting Paul to further the gospel. He was also able to present the gospel to some of the highest rulers of the Roman emperor, or empire, excuse me, while he was a prisoner, perhaps even Caesar Nero himself. He first dons prison garb in Philippi, and we pick up the story in verse 16. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her master's much profit by fortune-telling. The slave girl, as we go on to find out, was possessed by a demon. The original text reads, having a spirit, a python. Now, the image of a python guarded the temple of Apollo at Delphi where the famous oracle of Delphi hung out. The word came to be used of anyone who practiced things like fortune-telling and palm reading. They would be called a python, believed to be possessed by the spirit of this python that guarded the temple there. It was also used uh, to describe ventriloquism. Uh, apparently, these individuals would freak you out by throwing their voice and, and uh, talking from different areas. And... I always tried. Did you ever send in at the back of the comic books that thing to learn how to throw your voice? I always thought that would be a cool thing to do. <laughs> what about you? I never could quite get it. But anyway, so in verse 17, the girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, not every so-called fortune teller is demon-possessed. Most are simply frauds, but people are still possessed and demons, though fallen, are super intelligent beings who seem to have some limited knowledge of the afterlife and future events. And even demons can sometimes tell the truth. That's no reason to listen to them or to glean insights from them. Christians do sometimes borrow from the occult, changing the names of ancient practices to make them seem biblical. Let's not get involved in that. Uh, If there are well-documented practices that belong to the realm of the cults or the occult, let's leave them there. The fact that they might work or have some validity, uh, only... uh, it serves to deceive uh, people into thinking that the Christian message is just another spiritual message and that they're all on an even par. And so we don't really want demons to give te- their testimony uh, when we have testimony services. I see that demon possessed. Tell us who Jesus is. I mean, we don't, we don't want to, to be any confusion. And so in verse 18, and this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now it says in the text, Paul was greatly annoyed. A better translation of the word would be grieved. Annoyed sounds like he was angry and upset. He was grieved. He was grieved both for the girl who was possessed by a demon, and for the sake of the gospel, which was being interrupted as people were being confused. Now, why did Paul wait for many days before acting? Well, we don't know, but I think it's uh, safe to say that he was led by the Lord. Because the Lord used Paul to exorcise demons, to cast out demons, doesn't mean that he could do that uh, you know, any time that he felt like it, apparently. Apparently, this is something that he had to be led uh, by the Lord to accomplish. And as we'll see as we go through this story, God had a perfect timing for each event in this story. And it's a reminder to us that uh, though many times we have not because we ask not and we should uh, pray big and ask the Lord to do big things, God still has his perfect timing and things unfold as would give him the greatest glory. And so in verse 19, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. They would rather profit from this girl's slavery to a demon than see her made whole. It reminds us that some industries need to be more adversely affected by converting people to Jesus Christ. I mean, there are whole industries uh, in cities like Las Vegas that just need to be shut down as people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And um, it's interesting, too. uh, Gentiles rarely came against the gospel in the book of Acts, but when they did, it was because it affected their pocketbook. We're going to see another riot in the city of Ephesus when Paul preaches there and they quit making these little idols and, and some of the demonic activity. Then they drag him in front of people and say, hey, we got to do something about this guy because it's ruining you know, our little idol trade. Uh, it's a, you, know, you get to somebody's pocketbook like that, and, and they tend to get angry. And so, would to God that some of these industries today that prey on people would be shut down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it was unlawful for a Jew to actively proselytize Romans. And so, they kind of trumped up this charge uh, to try and drag Paul and Silas in front of the authorities. Luke and Timothy were with them, but they were Roman And they looked like it, apparently, while Paul and Silas were Jews and looked like it. And so this was a very kind of prejudiced stereotype situation where they left Luke and Timothy alone. They picked on Paul and Silas who looked Jewish. And uh, we would say today they played the race card. Uh, and they drugged these Jews, who everybody hated anyway, in front of the authorities. And then in verse 22, the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet In the stocks. All of this because they had freed a slave girl not from her masters, but from a demon. They weren't even preaching against the evils of slavery. This wasn't even a social cause. They had set this person, this young girl, free from demonic possession. It just reminds you of all the crazy things that go on in our world today that you and I, from a Christian worldview, we completely understand them. And then people in the world, they have a completely different viewpoint. Just this last week, there was a story that the board of a middle school in Maine voted to make condoms and other contraceptives available to children as young as 11 years old. The kids need a note from a parent which will authorize the school to provide medical care, which now includes this contraceptive service. But once the medical care is given, it remains confidential between the school and the child. And you and I look at that and we think, are you crazy? Because we have the proper worldview and others are just doing this nonsense. And so the more things change, the more they stay the same. Now, Paul and Silas, bruised and bloodied by a severe beating. I mean, this is uh, a very severe beating. Now they're bound in a position that is torturous. Have you ever tried to hold a position like that for a long time, being bound kind of in a seated position like you were in stocks? I mean, I have to move around every few minutes. I'm, I'm thinking about cutting out the video feed because when I watch myself, I rock back and forth like a weeble because I have, I have you don't notice it because it's live. Of course, now you will and you'll just chuckle but uh, I have flat feet and a bad back And so I'm like, I'm here in the pulpit, you know, and stuff And uh, it's crazy to watch myself But, you know, and so you can't just You know, I wish I had that posture, you know, like a, a military guy But I just don't And, and so these guys, you know, they're, they're bruised and bloodied And now their feet, at least, are in stocks, So their movement is limited uh, and, and so what are you going to do? They look at each other and say Let's have a Bible study. Let's have church. Let's do church right here in our stocks. And so in verse 25, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners listening to them. Maybe Paul turned to Silas or vice versa. Silas was a spiritual guy. And said, you know what? We're prisoners, but we're the prisoners of the Lord. Maybe the first time Paul ever had this thought. He was excited about it. They started offering prayers of thanksgiving and singing hymns of praise. And it was going on uh, through midnight. Talk about walking the walk. As the prisoners were listening to them, they understood something was definitely genuine about these new inmates. How we endure our adversity preaches to people. We should embrace it as the prisoners of the Lord. Lord, if if you've brought me to this place, I'm going to embrace it. I'm your prisoner, I'm your athlete, I'm your farmer, I'm your building, I'm your architect. Whatever illustration, whatever metaphor fits, Lord, I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to give you prayers of thanksgiving and hymns of praise in through the midnight hour of my suffering. And so in verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's uh, chains, excuse me, or loose because I'm trying to stand still now. I can't, I'm like the Sundance kid. I can't talk unless I move. But anyway, all right. How many of you have seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Okay, the three of you. But anyway, <laughs> one commentator poetically suggested that the prison itself thought the millennium had arrived and was jumping for joy. That Certainly the walls of that prison had never had this kind of a, uh, a concert uh, going on before. God sent an earthquake, but it was a very unusual one. We read that the doors were all opened and everyone's chains were loosed, but there was no real damage to the structure because uh, they were able to lock them all back up, and the next day it was business as usual. They didn't, you know, the health department didn't have to come and condemn the prison. Uh, OSHA didn't get sent out or anything. I mean, it was fine. So the earthquake was directed at the doors and the chains. By the way, note in passing that Paul and Silas do not seem to have been praying to be released. They simply rejoiced and left their plight to God. It says in verse 27, The keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. The Philippian jailer had at some point fallen asleep. Suddenly aroused from slumber and thinking all his prisoners had escaped, he was going to kill himself. That's because a jailer was liable for the security of his prisoners. He would certainly have been executed following their escape, earthquake or not. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, we are all here. Why did none of them escape? Well, I say Paul took charge of the situation and with God's authority told them to stay put. It's not far-fetched because he's going to do something like that later in the book of Acts when, as a prisoner being transported to Rome, a storm breaks out at sea, a severe storm. And he tells the Roman soldiers in charge, everybody's going to make it, but nobody can abandon ship or else we're all dead. And as the sailors decide they're going to abandon ship, the Roman soldiers make sure they don't. And so Paul, though a prisoner, though not even a sailor, just a a minister of the gospel, has the spiritual authority to take over that situation and see that everybody arrives safely uh, shipwrecked but on the island there of Malta. And so I think Paul just took charge of this situation. He and Silas understood that this was a specific earthquake sent by the Lord for a spiritual purpose. Uh, And um, it's not too hard to, uh, you know, I mean, this was a kind of a creepy, eerie situation. If you're down in the heart of this prison and all of a sudden there's an earthquake, people who are, and these guys, none of these guys, as far as I can tell, were from California. And only people who've lived in California their whole life don't really care much about earthquakes, right? I mean, do you care about it? I mean, they're deadly, don't get me wrong. People die in them. But, you know, if there was an earthquake right now, we'd probably just keep going, you know? We might say, wow, that was a tough one. Or, you know, somebody might run to the door, but they'd be from Oklahoma. (laughs) No, really, people from all over the country. I mean, I know people who would live on the lip of an active volcano, In Hawaii, but if you tell them you're from California, it's earthquake country. (laughs) We're so freaked out by the earthquakes and stuff, you know, and so an earthquake, I don't know if this part of the world experienced a lot of earthquakes, but this would have been a really freaky, scary thing, and then when it was over, all you see is that your door is open and your chains are down, and then suddenly this guy that's been singing all night Singing songs that are probably filled with just beautiful images of God and doctrine and all of those things, uh, he starts shouting out orders and say, "Hey, everybody, stay put. OK, yeah, I'm all for that. You know, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to stay put." And so none of them escaped. Verse 29, then he called for a light, the jailer did, and he ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Now who brought the light? There must have been additional staff it also contributes to the ambiance of the situation, reminding us that this was a, a dark, dingy situation. Uh, th- there wasn't, they didn't have fluorescent lights or anything like that. I mean, if they had very little light probably in the bowels of the prison, uh, and it was just creepy all the way around. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the earthquake, in the midst of the darkness and the confusion, were two fearless men, who had taken control of the situation with spiritual authority. Now, the jailer would have known something about the reason Paul and Silas were in prison. He may have talked with them earlier. Before he dozed off, he heard them praying and praising. The bottom line was that he knew they had something real, and he wanted it. I'm guessing his house was adjacent to the prison. While the other prisoners were made secure by the rest of the staff, Paul and Silas went to the jailer's home. Paul shared the gospel and the sense of the words are that all of them were saved because all of them believed. This Q&A is theological dynamite. What does a person need to do to be saved? One thing only, believe. Believe what? Not what? Who? On the Lord Jesus Christ. The name contains the gospel. He's the Lord, the master of all things. That means he's God. He's Jesus, the man. He's God in human flesh. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the God-man promised in the scriptures who would come as our substitute for sin to save us for eternity. And so in verse 33, he took, the same, uh, took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. This was no modern prison where inmates had rights and benefits. Paul and Silas had not been given any medical attention, probably not even given any food. Where were they baptized? Well, we know there was a river about a mile outside the city. Paul had baptized Lydia there. Even in their depleted physical condition, Paul and Silas walked perhaps a two mile round trip to perform their ministerial service. These guys were hardcore missionaries. They preached the gospel, they took control of the situation. They talked to them about following Christ and the commandment to be baptized. uh, And they said, Hey, let's let's do it right now. Aren't you guys tired? Aren't you guys beat, literally? Yeah, but God will give us strength. We're going down to the river, and you're going to be baptized. A doctrinal note. Some people use this passage to teach that whole households are saved by the belief of the parents and that even infant children should be baptized. That's not so. For one thing, the jailer was almost certainly a retiree. He would be a soldier living on a pension who retired into a career as a jailer. That's the way they did it in those days. And so it's doubtful that he would have infant children at home. Then there's the wording of verse 34. It tells us that a person must be old enough to understand the gospel in order to believe and be baptized. Having believed was what brought individual salvation and led to the believer's adult baptism. Now, Paul and Silas, prisoners of the Lord, set captives free. They set free a slave girl from her captivity to a demon, they set free a jailer from his captivity to his duty when they kept him from committing suicide. They set free the other prisoners by exampling the joy of the Lord in the worst possible circumstances. The slave girl remained a slave. The jailer remained a jailer. The prisoners remained prisoners. But all either received or at least had been exposed to the spiritual freedom a person can enjoy in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I are no less the prisoners of the Lord. The non-believers who surround us are held captive by something or someone. When we treat our imprisonments as if they were a prison musical, we promote a spiritual freedom that is attractive to those who are perishing without hope. Now, our story isn't over because they're still in jail. And so in verses 35 through 40, we see you set the church forward when you see yourself as the prisoner of the Lord. In the morning, the magistrates thought they'd release Paul and Silas and secretly kick them out of town and be done with it. And so in verse 35, we read, when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart, and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Romans. Whoops. Uh, Did we mention yesterday that we were Roman citizens? Gosh, it must have slipped our minds somewhere between being stripped and beaten. But, by the way, we are Roman citizens. Now, the magistrates were in serious legal trouble. You could not treat Roman citizens in this manner. You know, we're always seeing some kind of a dashboard video or handheld video of of somebody in authority, you know, supposedly going overboard and beating somebody Uh, and and such, and and sometimes it's true, and a lot of times it's not true. Uh, And and the reason that's of some interest to us is because we live in a society where people have rights, even criminals have rights. And and here in the Roman society, it wasn't a kind of a barbaric situation. If you were a Roman citizen, you enjoyed the protection of the Roman government, and you had rights. You could not be beaten as an uncondemned Roman citizen without the benefit of a trial. At the end of the book of Acts, we'll see that Paul appeals to Caesar. And we'll talk about it when we get there. But if you appeal to Caesar, every court proceeding stopped and you went to Caesar. Now, no one wanted to go to Caesar because he killed everybody. Uh, but that was just Nero. But uh, you know, it was like it was like a higher court of appeals, and it could take you years to have your case heard because Caesar was a busy guy. He's learning how to play the fiddle, and he was in Survivor Rome, learning how to make fire without flint and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, so so the, the Roman citizens had rights. Now they had assumed, because Paul, I mean, you know, not to be prejudiced, but he looked Jewish. And Silas looked Jewish. And they just assumed that they were not Roman citizens. It's a bad assumption for them to have made. Why didn't Paul invoke his rights the day before? As hard as it must have been to keep quiet knowing what was coming. Seeing these guys coming, they were called lictors with their rods, with the, you know, the flayed ends and stuff to beat them. He must have been led by the Lord. I envision Silas just about to say, Hey, we're Roman," oh, And Paul hits him in the side. Shut up. The Lord told me to keep quiet. Silas says something like, Now I know why John Mark deserted you. You're crazy. What are you talking about? How could the Lord lead you to be beaten and thrown into prison? You're a Roman citizen. But he kept quiet. They both kept quiet. Luke and Timothy kept quiet. They didn't rush into the scene and say, hey, these guys are Roman citizens. You can't treat them this way. And so everybody had this kind of leading from the Lord. Why? Well, just on a practical level, if they had invoked their right as Roman citizens, they would have never been in jail. They would have never been singing at midnight. There wouldn't have been an earthquake. The jailer and his household would have never been saved. And so at least that much we can see. The lesson for us is that the prisoner of the Lord has no rights. At least he doesn't immediately claim them or claim them for himself. This might be one of the most difficult lessons in the Christian life of an American Christian. The fact that the metaphor here of the prisoner of the Lord means that whatever rights we have, which we enjoy and love as citizens of this great country, we might be asked to abdicate or not claim from time to time for the greater good of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a mind-bender. It really is. But it's nonetheless true uh, than it was back in the first century. And so he doesn't immediately claim his rights. He doesn't claim them for himself. Why does he invoke his rights now, the day after? certainly wasn't to be vindictive. You see he doesn't cause any trouble for these magistrates he doesn't threaten to sue them he doesn't go on Bill O'Reilly and you know with his attorney and talk about what they've done to him or anything like that He seems to have invoked his rights in order to protect the church and to set believers forward in the city of Philippi And so in verse 39 they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city Paul and Silas would still be a source of unrest to those who felt their livelihood threatened It would be best if they left the city altogether. But at the same time, a public escort by the magistrates out of town would constitute a public apology. It would put the angry mob on notice that Paul and Silas had done nothing wrong, or at least they had been wronged, and they could even bring down trouble from Rome if somebody was to bring this up again. And it would put the believers they left behind in a more protected state. Paul and Silas agreed to leave but not before visiting the church. Verse 40, So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Because Paul and Silas were the prisoners of the Lord, they set the church forward before they departed. For one thing, the church would be unmolested by the nonbelievers at least for a time for fear of Paul and Silas and what they might do if they brought this case before the Roman government. Secondly, the jailer and his household had been saved and were now members of the young assembly meeting in Lydia's house. And uh, as a corollary to that, now they had a prison ministry uh, because they had access to the prison. It's not out of the question that the slave girl had been saved, though we cannot be certain because we're not told, it is the usual pattern in the Gospels for a person who has been freed from demonic possession to be saved. Perhaps more than a few of the other prisoners Got saved. If there was additional staff working the prison, they too may have gotten saved. Apparently, Luke stayed behind in order to oversee and pastor this young church. He doesn't rejoin Paul until chapter 20 when Paul returns to Philippi a few years later on his third missions trip. And then finally, the believers in Philippi, we read later on, would send repeated financial support to Paul. And so, all because two men were willing to see themselves as the, prisoner of the prisoners of the Lord, they set the church forward in a very positive way. We are more than two men, and we are in many places. Let's ask the Lord to work in us and through us to shake up the places where captives need to discover their spiritual freedom in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we appreciate the clarity of your word. We thank you for uh, filling in some of the details, Lord, uh, uh, through history and scholarship. More importantly, Lord, we want to take the spiritual insight into our hearts and lives. Uh, We want to add to our understanding of the illustrations and metaphors of the Christian life that we are to be the prisoners of the Lord. Uh, And, and Lord, uh, at least on one level, not be so quick to claim our rights when we are wronged, but to see how you might use the situation in order to save even those who have wronged us or certainly others watching the situation. Do those things and more, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. All right, uh, come forward for prayer. If you require prayer, we love to just spend a few minutes uh, Laying hands on you and and just bringing you before the Lord. Wednesday morning, the men meet at six thirty for a time of devotion and fellowship. Uh, Wednesday night, seven o'clock sharp. Ignite. If you haven't been to that, what a blessing it is! As the Lord has uh, just really opened up a, a lot of neat ministry on Wednesday nights. Uh, if the Lord doesn't come back by then, we're looking forward to next Sunday. Uh, we'll be here again Sunday morning, of course, and then next Sunday night the uh... triple h Uh, always a fun event we do need some additional volunteers uh... so if you're going to be here and uh... we'd like you to sign up for a forty five minute stint uh, do it on your bulletin before you leave this morning because we have to get that schedule out this week so we all are organized and know what we're doing may god bless you and keep you as you consider this and all the other wonderful truths that the lord is putting in your heart Get up early tomorrow morning or stay up late tonight and spend some time with the Lord. Uh, Read the Word. Get a devotional book from the bookstore or crack one open off of your shelf that you haven't read for a while. And just uh, seek the Lord. Uh, He's seeking you. Seek Him. Draw close to Him. And let Him fill your heart with the wonder of His grace and love. Amen.